Last Valentine's Day, Patty did something really special. She, she uh, invited me, can you believe that? She invited me on Valentine's Day. She invited me and a couple of our friends to go with her to St. Augustine. And we went to St. Augustine for a, a, a wonderful couple of days. And we thought we would embark on something that we had not done in a long time, which was to go on a haunted tour. Anybody ever been on a ghost tour before? Yeah, a couple people. Well, we decided that we would go to the Haunted Lighthouse on St. Augustine Beach. If you've ever watched Ghost Hunters or any of those programs, that you understand that next to the Winchester House in California, that the lighthouse in St. Augustine is allegedly the most haunted place in America. So we decided we would go there. So we, we gathered everything up and we got there late at night because the tour started at night and we got our ghost hunting gear and we assembled with about a dozen other people along with our friends. And we went into this lighthouse and guess how dark it was in the lighthouse? How dark was it? It was really dark. We could only see like two feet in front of ourselves. And if you've ever been in a place where you can't really see where you're going, it's kind of eerie, isn't it? It's kind of bizarre. Well, my adrenaline was really going because uh, I, I was, you know, I'm kind of a prankster, believe it or not. And, and I decided that, you know, I was going to pull a couple of pranks like, boo, you know, and stuff like that to get our friends and Patty a little alarmed. And, uh, but, but that wasn't working really well. So we got inside and, and we're starting to climb the 400 stairs to the top of the lighthouse. And let me tell you what, it's a climb, and it's a very perilous climb as you're making your way up there. So as we're going through, we're hearing about all the lure about the ghosts of St. Augustine and especially this haunted lighthouse. Well, we got up to about the, um, uh, a couple of hundred steps, and I looked back, and the person who doesn't like heights is my wife. How do I know she doesn't like them? She didn't move one inch. And I'm kind of like, come on, we can take a deep breath. We can come up to the next step, next step. And she's following me with that. And we got about halfway up, and there's a window in the lighthouse. And you can actually look out the window and a beautiful uh, uh, topography of St. Augustine Beach. And Patty loves beach. She loves the water. And I'm like, sweetheart, look at this. Isn't it gorgeous? Look at how the white caps are coming. And she stood kind of frozen and just kind of did her eyes like, yeah, Bob, that's real beautiful. So I decided it was time to start making a little conversation with our ghost guide. And as we're going up 300 steps, a couple more, we're heading up, I learned that our ghost guide was one who traveled from up north, came to St. Augustine, became a student there. And she was telling me that she was attracted to the college and all the lure of St. Augustine. But what she said to me was that this was the first night of her gig. And she had never done this before. And she said, you know, I've done all the training, everything, but you all are actually my first tour. I'm going like, great, we're not going to see any ghosts now. And uh, so, so, so we're talking to her a little bit more. And, and then she says, um, you know, uh, there's a couple things I got to tell you. I'm not real good in the dark, she says. And, and I'm not real familiar with this lighthouse. And, and what was the thing in the training they said was, oh, there's a place up around step number between step 300 and 400. If you're not careful, you could fall down and die. And I'm thinking like, wow, this is pretty incredible. And so I look back at Patty and she's like, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. So we're kind of mushing along. And all of a sudden it came to a point where Patty just had had enough. And she said, you mean to tell me you've brought me in a lighthouse that's dark up all these stairs and we're with a guide who's never been a part of this before and she knows no life-saving skills and we're stuck here. Well, about that time, our friends, uh, his wife speaks up. She had been silent the whole time. And she looks at me and she says, Bob, you're a pastor. Do something religious right now. <laughs> so I did. 
I took up an offering. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, the, the, the question this morning, the question this morning is, can I trust my leader? Uh, can you trust your leader? Can we trust our leader? Who is our leader? Our leader is God. Uh, can we trust our leader? Uh, this morning's story as we look at uh, faith and the significance of that, we're going to travel in the life of Joshua. If you've never read the book of Joshua, please take time to do that. It's one of the early books in the Old Testament. Take time to read that. Joshua is the one who was selected to lead the people into the promised land uh, after Moses, the great uh, person who leads the uh, Hebrews out of Egypt, out of bondage, Moses is dead. And in the early parts of the Joshua story, we know that he's not real certain about this new role that God's asked him to do. But God says to Joshua, be encouraged, my friend. Be very encouraged because I am with you in all that you do. So Joshua is tasked now with leading the people into the promised land. And my guess is after Moses died, there became a lot of uncertainty. There became a lot of friction about whether or not they would actually quit wandering and get into the promised land as God had shared with them that they would. So there's lots of challenging against Joshua's leadership. Lots of people are itching to make decisions. Lots of people are second guessing. Well, Moses would have never asked, how come and all those kinds of things. So Joshua brings all the people together and he's just heard a report from some spies that he sent into the promised land. And these spies actually went in in advance of the Hebrew people coming into the new land so that they could see what was the battle and what was against them as they entered into the promised land. And the report that they bring back to Joshua and the people in the camp and the leaders is that God will deliver them into the promised land and there won't be any challenges to that at all. So we're gonna pick up in the story in Joshua chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from uh, Shittim and, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So we need to be aware that there's this huge, the Jordan River stands between Joshua and the people and going into the promised land. So this mighty river. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. So for three days, this is what they're saying to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Now the Ark of the Covenant is significant. It represented the powerful presence of God. It was there when they came out of Egypt. It was there as they wandered in the desert. And now it is going to be the presence of God that's going to lead them into this promised land. So then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. So when the people follow the Ark of the Covenant, when they follow the priests, they know which direction to go because this is all new to them and they've never seen it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark and don't go near it. A lot of people ask, well, why were they not allowed to go near the ark? Well, it was, it was a holy relic. It, it was to be honored and it wasn't something to be just um, taken for granted. So, so it's 2,000 yards in advance and the other reason why they're asked to, to, to set back is so that the large crowds of the people that all of them could see that the ark was ahead of them and leading them where they needed to go. So this, this beginning of this Joshua story says something significant. And what it says is that taking our first steps is always the hardest. Think about it. If you've ever had a difficult life's decision to make, taking the first step in making that decision 
is difficult. You wrestle with it. It's nothing easy that can come. And we, we know that this is also part of who we are as people. Uh, you know, when babies are born into the world, what do babies do? They change several colors right after birth, okay? And then all of a sudden, um, they, they put toxic waste in plastic things that we spend our life savings on called diapers so that we can keep them clean for that. And the next thing you know, they go from being these little jelly kind of filled things into crawlers. And, and before we even know it, they are actually like a NASCAR race making left turns on the carpet going 100 miles an hour zipping around the house. But when it comes time for those babies who are crawlers to walk, it's a lot different, isn't it? It takes children longer to learn how to walk than to crawl. And if you've ever watched a child, whenever they're trying to walk, they get up and what do they do? They're, they're kind of, and they fall down, they get up and they fall down and, and, and all of those kinds of things. And so taking the first steps is difficult. And, and whereas crawling can be natural for us, Walking can be seen as very difficult, uh, but when it comes to walk, we have to have some kind of superhuman strength or superhero strength that can lead us to do what we need to do. When pa Apollo 11 went up and Neil Armstrong and his crew was on that, they were trying to do something that had never been done before. Does anybody recall? Walk on the moon. And, and Armstrong got there and he's coming out of the lunar module and he's going to do something significant. I almost missed that event at my house. I was a, a young kid. I was the young, I'm the youngest of four brothers. And because I was the youngest and because I was gullible, I had to be the human antenna. Uh, you remember the rabbit ears on the TV with the, uh, with the aluminum foil? You remember that? And, and come on, there's a lot of y'all out here remember that. I don't remember that. Yes, you do. And so, so my job was to hold on to those as, a, as kind of a, a, a grounded antenna so that everybody on the house could see what was going on. And I almost missed it, but I looked down, and there Armstrong leaped off of the ladder in those infamous words, uh, that's one small step for man, or excuse me, those famous words, I should say, that, that's one stop, small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. And when he said those famous words the whole world changed. He took his first step, and things were different. So, so taking the first step is hard. Taking the first step is hard, especially when the first step is filled with the unknowns that are out there. Not many of us are willing to take blind first steps. Not many of us are willing to risk it all to just step out blindly, thinking like, well, it'll all work out willy-nilly. Most of us are probably going to analyze things. Some of us go through life with analysis by paralysis, and we analyze and analyze and we analyze until we finally can convince ourselves that it's the right thing to take the first step. When the unknowns overwhelm us, it becomes great in that we're not sure what to do. And sometimes in those moments, we'd rather travel the path that we feel is the least path of resistance, even though it may not be the best path or the right path. But it's easy, it's, it's something we can deal with, and, and it's something that we can deal with along the way. So sometimes we find ourselves on a path of life that we don't know really what we're supposed to do. Patty and I are in that situation right now. Her, her mom is in stage four cancer, and, and every day is a battle for her. And every day we're, we're hopeful for, for things to transition, for, for her health to improve. But there's a lot of unknowns, and, and we're just not sure what that is. We, we, uh, we grieve internally a lot about being several hours away from our grandchildren who are in Orlando, and we're here and, and wanting to, to be with them more. So, so we're on this path, and we're, we're seeking God's discernment and, and trying to our best to live into the trust 
trust that will come. But what we find ourselves is that, that also illnesses put us there, job changes place us there, our marital relationships, our relationships in general, that there's so many unknowns that happen and we're just not sure whether we're willing to take the next step because taking the next step will beg the question, what will I see and where will it lead? Or should I just remain here where I am? Now, the scripture says, Joshua told the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This is verse five. The people had to take the first action. The people had to sanctify themselves. Now, another translation says consecrate. Consecration of something means we dedicate it into fulfillment of service, like a holy service. We, we say that it's something special. It's something that we're gonna do. So the people need to need to dedicate their lives into God's holiness, uh, holy service, or they need to sanctify themselves, which is the Christian transformation of moving away from being who we are into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we are sanctified through the life of the Holy Spirit. So, so Joshua says, he tells the people that you must make a spiritual decision, and that spiritual decision must be made today. And when you make that spiritual decision, when you make it to follow God without questioning that God's miracles will happen in your life. The people are told that when they follow this, that God will indeed deliver them into the promised land. If you've ever been in that place when life's been confusing, if you've ever been in that place where life seems unfinished, when things are happening and you're just not sure how to get to the end result of something, and you likely have uttered the words, show me the way, Lord, and when you show me the way, I'll duly follow you. But yet when we say that statement, show me the way, Lord, and I'll duly follow you, shortly after that, that voice comes. And it's that voice in the back of our mind, that whisper, but as long as I get to do what I want to do, as long as you give me what I'm asking for. I'll follow you, Lord. Just show me the way. Give me what I want. I think I know what's better for me. We need to hear the bigger voice. Because when we listen to our voices, as diligently as we believe they are in speaking to us, God's voice is the voice of discernment, which we need to be. So what we're really looking for when we're in those moments of speak, Lord, show me the way, what we're really looking for is we're looking for the assurance that God is moving before us. We're looking for the assurance like the ark in front of the people that the priests are carrying, that God is before us and that God is leading the way and that we are dedicated and we will follow. The scripture goes on that Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass ahead of the people. So the Ark is no longer in the body of the people or in the back of the pack. The Ark is now in the front of the pack. So they took it up and they went ahead of the people. He said, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Go and stand in the river. Not by the river, not beside the river, but in the river. This is the season when the Jordan was at its highest level. This is the season when waves and, and stirrings and currents are at their mightiest. The, 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 the snow has melted. The springtime is there. 
And the priests are to go into this treacherous water, this water that separates the people from getting into this promised gift that God has placed before him. And Joshua says, priests, go into the water. And they do. And we begin to see this battle ensue, this battle of priests in the ark against the river. And we know when God is on our side, we know that when God is in the battle with us, who wins the battle? We win because God is with us. And the priests began to show by their faithfulness, by taking the step that is needed to go into the water, even though it doesn't make any sense, even though it's not what they want, that God will do something great. Indiana Jones had a similar situation. In the movie, The Last Crusade, he finds himself in search of the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail is that cup that Jesus used, purportedly used at the Last Supper and has escaped the hands of church historians for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And in the movie, uh, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones finds himself. He's looked through a book that has led him to this place where he is on a ledge. There's a chasm, a deep valley between he and another ledge. It is not jumpable. It is not uh, something that he can hurl a rope across to cross over. There's no way for him to get where he is to the other side. And the map says that if he gets to the other side through that doorway, he will find the treasure of the lost grail. And Jones is at that point where he's perplexed, he's unknown, he's uncertain. What am I supposed to do? I know what I'm supposed to do, but how do I get there? And he has a decision to make, and it requires that he take the first step. So Joshua and the Israelites had found themselves at that very place where it required them to take a step into the waters so that they could receive the gift that God had given and what we know is that God had already provided the solution. We go on with the story. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, meaning that the waters all parted. The imagery of what happened in the great exodus has happened again. The waters parted, and uh, the priests who carried the Ark stood on firm ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. They had trusted, they had followed, they had faith, and they achieved what God had promised. So here's the big truth this morning. If you want to cross into the promised land, you have to step out in, promise, in, in faith. You have to step out in faith. You can't stay where you are. See, I believe that there's something, if not someone, who's inside of us all that tells us that there's more to life than what we're living. That thing, I believe, is the Holy Spirit who challenges us, who encourages us, who cheerleads us, but who pushes us forward and says, live the life that God created you to live, but make the life have the purpose for which you have been created. There's something inside of us that wants to take a step into the troubled waters, but the doubts and the fears and all the things or the safety of, the, of, of, of what's in our minds or the things that we need to surrender stand in our way. And the question this morning is, what's the raging river that's holding you back? And if you were to answer that question, my guess is for most of us that answer would be fear. Fear is what holds us back because it's safety and security that we seek in all things. So the question we must ask is, what is it produces fear in me, especially when I'm thinking of leaving uh, it behind and stepping out in faith? 
What are the things that you're afraid of? What are the things that are causing you to make a decision that may not be the right decision? What is it going to take for you to have faith? There was a man and his dog, and they were uh, enjoying some time uh, during the beach during the summer, and the man would pick up a stick, and he would throw it, and the dog would fetch it, and he thought he'd have a little fun because a visitor came by. And the visitor was coming by, and the man said, hey, watch what my dog can do. And he picks up the stick, and he throws it out into the water, and the dog runs on top of the water, grabs the stick, and runs back, gives it to his master. The man takes the stick, and he throws it out a second time. The dog runs out on top of the water, walks on water, comes back. This happens a couple of times, and the visitor's just going. And the man says, did you notice anything really interesting that just happened? And the visitor said, your dog can't swim, can he? The miracle is right before you. You gotta see it. God is enacting miracles every day. He's given us Jordan River crossing moments every day. Are you struggling in a relationship? Have faith, have faith and step out in faith and act upon that to strengthen that. Are you having trouble monetarily? Have faith, step out in faith and act upon that. Are you looking for a change of life? Have faith that God will lead you to the answer and step out in that. Have faith. The writer of Hebrews sums it up and says, faith is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. All it takes, Jesus says, is to have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed in the world. And sometimes that's all the faith we can muster is that much. And that's all it takes. Have faith. And when it comes in time for our relationship with God, faith is the point for which we find ourselves that we must stretch.